Welcome to Ah Crap, a Hellboy podcast, the show dedicated to the half-demon hero, hosted by me, Mark David Christensen. And me, Kate Thompson. And we have a wonderful special guest for this episode. Um, He's going to revisit the Seed of Destruction with us. Give it up for DC Pearson. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> hey, everybody. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Everyone give it up. Give it up. Give it up. You can hear other <laughs> cheering. Uh, if you don't know uh, DC, you should because he's great. You might know him from his Derek comedy. Uh, he's written two books, The Boy Who Wouldn't Sleep and, and Never Had To. And Crap Kingdom. I've read both of those and they're wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, if you're out there, pick them up. They're great. And he starred in still my personal favorite of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He (laughs) was the Apple employee in The Winter Soldier. (laughs) (laughs) So, very good. And there's much more out there that we could list off, but he's a great comedic writer and so forth. But we are very grateful to have you here, DC. I'm happy to be here. This was really fun, uh, really fun to read, and I'm excited to talk about it. Great. So. Before we jump into the actual Seed of Destruction, I want to hear um, from you just like your history with reading comic books. When did you start getting into comic books? What are some of your favorites and so forth? Yeah, I used to, I was, I was really into them as a kid. It was sort of the era, for better or for worse, of like comics were very, it was the, you know, 90s for the most part. And uh, comics were very much, for better or for worse, like seemed to be like at the center of the cultural conversation because there were all these like mega events like the death of Superman and all these, and Batman and Bane and all these different things that were were very sort of, Basically, <laughs> comic books were completely, I'm not, I'm sure nobody listening to this podcast won't know this, but like by the first couple generations to actually have them and read them were like completely undervalued by, you know, their parents basically. And so when they all went off and I don't know, went to college in the 60s or whenever it was, their parents just like <laughs> threw away all their comic books by, you know, they were just like, oh, I've always hated these things. They're basically like pornography with no boobs and I'm going (laughs) to just throw them away. And then you ended up having a scenario where all of those comic books from the first couple generations of like superhero comics being really rare and valuable for that reason. And by the nineties, people had realized that and there was this huge collector's market. And so they were comic book companies were like trying to have all these mega events to manufacture collectability, I think. And what that really ended up doing is making everybody, myself included as a little kid, be like, I gotta buy six different (laughs) versions of the death of Superman because it's so valuable. And of course, obviously, I'm sure if you look at up any of that stuff today, like none of those things that were really intended to be collector's items are actually collector's items. But so I was following along with like the big superhero comics like Batman and Superman and Spider-Man and, and but also doing it somewhat sporadically. Like I wouldn't, my parents wouldn't just like take me to the comic book store and I would go like, I want that one and that one and that one. We would get these big, I don't know if you guys remember, but like, um, Costco, or at the time it was called Price Club where we lived, had these like giant, just basically like fun packs of comic books where yeah. it was like, it was like too, too wide. Did you have these, Kate? Oh yeah, yeah. There, I, my first like Gambit comic I ever bought was like a four pack of like individual regular <laughs> comics, but like contained within this four pack from like Family Value. It's like this East Coast <laughs> store yeah. that's, you know. It's like a Marshalls or something like that. Like, it's like, yeah, it's not even from a comic book store at all. It's like from the magazine section of another store that sells clothes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So basically my access, my access points were like this one rotating rack at the supermarket. And then for the most part, just occasionally convincing my parents to get these like giant, you know, combo packs with like eight comics where you'd be like, oh, there's one in here that I want to read. And then there's one you know, Submariner one that I'm going to convince myself I'm into. Um, No, no, no disrespect to to, to the Submariner. But, but so because of that, it was like weirdly scattershot and there were, there were all of these titles and there was all this continuity and they would always be referencing like for this C 
issue 732. And yeah. I'm like, okay, got to remember that. But, you know, <laughs> never, never actually yeah. would. And so there was a weird element of like just being so scattered in all of these timelines and all these continuity and trying to piece it together, except for I liked Spider-Man the best. And I was able to convince my parents to get a subscription to Spider-Man. So I literally got sent Amazing Spider-Man every month for a while. And that was really fun and exciting, but it also unfortunately coincided with a event called the Clone Saga, which I don't know if you you guys, I'm sure you guys remember, but like... (laughs) Uh, where basically it was revealed that like Peter Parker, the Peter Parker that you knew and loved was actually a clone. And then this guy who everybody thought was a clone of him was actually the real Peter Parker. And then Peter Parker just like wandered off into the wilderness, like like the, the Incredible Hulk in the old TV show. And as a kid, like I was recently remembering um, uh, watching the Michael Jordan documentary uh, that 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 because I was in Phoenix, Arizona, growing up, and the Bulls beating the Suns in in the finals in 1993 was like where I was like, well, I don't like basketball anymore. <laughs> and, then, and then a few years later, when when Peter Parker was revealed to be a clone, that I ended up I looked into it this year because I talked about it on uh, Drew Spears's uh, um, book club show, but. <laughs> There ended up, I, I like a couple of years, they ended up walking it back basically. But but when that happened, I was just like, well, I don't like comics anymore. <laughs> and so for a few years, I just genuinely didn't read a lot of comic books and kind of yeah. missed out on some like prime comic reading years. And then and then in, in late high school and college, I ended up getting back on board with kind of the, the sort of big seminal kind of graphic novel-y, you know, things that everybody reads like Watchmen and Sandman and stuff like that. And then I've, I've gotten back into it over the years and I go in fits and starts. Like a couple of years ago, I had a really big catching up on, on Batman phase and, and, and different stuff. But I, so I'm, I'm, I've never quite achieved my regular rhythm back, but it's something that I, every, you know, every 18 months or so, I have a big sort of kick with, you know, reading different stuff. But, um, but yeah, so this is, this is, really fun, but also is admittedly my first time um, reading any Hellboy comics, which was nice. All good. Yeah, I love great. it. I'm glad we got you to read it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Over the years, what are like sort of like maybe like your top three that you always like either loved or will stand with you or maybe you return to anything like that? Um, yeah, there was, well, I was, it is weird to say, but I had like one that like one sort of like, and I, I think I even knew at the time as a kid, I was like, this is pretty silly or goofy or something but i had this like spider-man punisher team up comic where it was sort of like spider punishers kind of like guesting with spider-man and basically the entire thing because it's again the late 80s early 90s is just like the punisher just they like find some like drug lords or something and it's just the punisher (laughs) a man whose power is having a bajillion guns and being the like 80s reagan dad like revenge fantasy uh just like completely just obliterating every drug dealer. Like there's where you're just like, why did they even <laughs> need this many guys <laughs> to sell drugs? <laughs> so it's just like every every fucking frame of the comic is is punished is is just like just coded in like all of these like bullets and and flying and and you know guns blazing and everything. And, but the thing that makes it fun is that Spider-Man is there and he's kind of like criticizing the Punisher a little bit or because Spider-Man doesn't kill people. And he's kind of being like, why do you have to kill all these guys? <laughs> why do you have to leave but, a smoking crater in every single <laughs> drug dealer? Like, but, <laughs> terrible. But, uh, so, but that was a fa- I would, but anyway, so spider so that kind of gives it a little bit of perspective where Spider-Man, who I liked more, is kind of critiquing the Punisher, but it also allowed me to just kind of like, w- with somewhat of a clean conscience, just enjoy the like really dumb carnage of the Punisher being, in, you know, and, and, and yeah. like a lot of kids, I would just like, I would draw a lot and I liked drawing a bunch and, and I would draw a lot of just like guys with big crazy guns and, you oh, know, all yeah. that stuff, all that, that sort of like, yeah, it's like Spawn um, and like Lobo and all these like exactly. crazy 90s psychos that are there. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like yeah. biceps out to here, like cartoonish or like, yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just like a lot of, as, as has been pointed out, and I think was even being pointed out at the time, like a bunch of like utility pockets. Oh yeah, it's just couches. <laughs> couches on your thigh. Exactly. <laughs> so I remember, I remember that was sort of my, I read that like a bajillion times, but also I, so I, I remember really liking that one. There was, I, you know, I really liked the sort of Spider-Man, like anything with Venom, anything with Carnage. Like I was just, yeah. a, a, you know, very much a kid of the 90s, just being into all this stuff where they were kind of being like, what if Jeffrey Dahmer had a symbiote <laughs> suit, you know, and being like, yeah, cool. <laughs> which, which is just so, which is just very funny to me um, that, that that's what I was into, but but it was. And so I, I, you know, really liked a lot of those. I really, you know, kind of back and forth now, but but as a, as a grown-up, I really liked definitely like some Superman stories. Like I've liked a lot of like Grant Morrison stuff, like All-Star Superman is really incredible, obviously. And then a, a couple of years ago, there was this list uh, that somebody put together that was like all of the Grant Morrison Batman basically in like chronological order. Yeah. And so I went through Whoa. and kind of assembled those and started reading those. And that has the like, it basically the premise of it, I just remember thinking it was so cool and the execution being very cool where it was basically like Grant Morrison being like, hey, all of these early Batman stories are insane like he's going to <laughs> mars and like it's just very much not the batman that we know about and basically what he decided is to go like i'm gonna say that all of that stuff literally happened and i'm gonna own that it's in continuity and i'm gonna say that it happened within even though it was like over the course of like 10 20 years or something that it all happened within like the span of a year and that it was batman is looking back on it being like wow that was a really crazy time <laughs> but basically like it was so insane and batman was exposed to so many weird transmogrifying chemicals and, and nerve agents and stuff that he's like still a little bit insane from it. Like it's almost this like war that he went through that he has these like deeply buried memories of. And so ends up kind of he in, in, in the, in the current moment in continuity ends up going through some really crazy stuff. And it sort of like unlocks this. He, he, he basically his personality gets obliterated and he ends up like reaching deep down and, and unlocking this sort of weird, like id, self that he buried deep down back when he was in this sort of crazy period of constantly being exposed <laughs> to nerve gas and called like the Batman of Zen or And I just remember thinking that was so cool. Like that whole, that basically like really steeping all of these kind of silly, hokey, really old, like golden age stories in sort of like modern, you know, continuity, but also not feeling the need to retroactively be like, and this is, you know, that sort of like, uh, reflexively dark or quote unquote grown up feeling like it was still fun and light and weird, but also, yeah, it was, it was all those things at once. And I, I really enjoyed that. That was a really, really, that was a really fun uh, reading experience. And then, um, you know, going back and reading the, the, the winter soldier, like the original Ed Brubaker, like winter soldier, when I became aware, like, Oh, I get to be in this movie. This is super exciting. Like getting to go and read that and being like, I wonder, I wonder which of these mercenaries I will be in the movie. <laughs> and uh, um, a mercenary was, for Apple. Yes, exactly. That was really cool. And, and reading like other Ed Brubaker stuff, like the like Criminal and and stuff like that, was just really really neat. And I think expanding your horizons of being, you know, I it sounds kind of cliche to say, but just expanding your horizons of, of what, um, what comics can look like. And then there was one I read, a, a, a was cool because it was truly where I was like, oh, everybody, when I was growing up, everybody was throwing around the term graphic novel, but this really truly feels like a like graphic novel was, um, I'm just making, I'm just double checking the, uh, author's name because I don't want to get it wrong. Just to reassure you, we get something wrong on this podcast. In every episode. Every, okay, good. Uh, yeah. so we, <laughs> just to give you some context, we, our half of our first season, we call we were calling Mike Mignola, Mike Mignola. <laughs> we got dragged for that. That's, that's how I've always pronounced it in my head. So that's good to know. I'm, now I get to act like, oh yeah, come on, it's Mike Mignola. What are you? What are you talking about? <laughs> it, the book I was thinking of was called On a Sunbeam by Tilly Walden, and it, it's this really incredibly beautiful. Like, if you, if anybody out there knows any 
if you if you know like an artist a remotely artistically inclined or sci-fi inclined like adolescent or teenager you have to get them this book it's so beautiful it's basically about this crew young people who are working for this almost kind of like like space works progress administration like from back in the great depression but like in some sort of like non-specific future time and their ship is like a giant beautiful koi fish almost and they're going from from just to different like weird asteroids with with like old ruins on them and they're like fixing them up and reclaiming them and that's kind of this like public service that they do and it's you know so it's it's ostensibly about that but it's also kind of about like lost love and memory and it's just so like the art is if you google the art and you look at it and you're like oh that looks cool you would you would love this book it's so incredible and i think also just such a neat sustained work of like one person writing drawing doing all the art it is i i like would read through it and like fantasize about someday being wealthy enough to like buy some art from it because it is so everything that you think of as being cool about science fiction and just so imaginative and so cool and, and emotionally affecting. So that, that was my most recent kind of uh, comics experience where I was like, this is, this medium is so cool. You know, like this awesome. is, is, yeah, totally. I love that. I'm looking at the art right now and I can't wait to read it. So yeah, it's, it's <laughs> yeah, I'm like putting it in my, <laughs> I found it on eBay like immediately. Yeah, I'm going to read this. That's great. One more thing. You got the chance to write a Winter Soldier story, comic book, a short for Marvel, uh, Winter Soldier, the name I'm not going to try to pronounce because I don't know mm-hmm. Latin very well. Me neither. <laughs> I want to hear how that came about and what how you're, what was your experience of writing a comic? Yeah, so basically, um, I got an email from this editor at Marvel, Chris Robinson, about a year and change ago, and he said, "Hey, we're we've started doing this thing that Marvel used to do back in like the '60s, I think, and '70s, called Marvel Comics Presents. It's basically a an anthology comic where every month it's you know three like eight to." 12 page stories featuring different Marvel heroes. And one of them is like a running, one of the stories is actually running narratively from, from issue to issue, but the other ones are all just sort of standalone little stories. And I, Chris was like, I got assigned to do one for the winter soldier. And I was aware that you're in addition to having been in the movie, the winter soldier or a writer. And I, I thought like, he was basically like, I just kind of thought, First, I just kind of thought it would be funny. Like, let's get the guy from the, um, the Apple store um, <laughs> to, to, to write this story. But he was also like, but then I was realizing like, oh, that's actually like would be a good fit, I think, potentially. And he was like, what's really cool about the character and what makes him a natural fit for an anthology where he can just have a standalone story is because as you know, I guess spoilers for the Winter Soldier arc in the movie, Captain America Winter Soldier, but Winter Soldier is this like mysterious mercenary in the in the comics. He's he's from like the Soviet Union in the in the in the movie. He's basically just fully just Hydra affiliated. And he was Bucky Barnes, uh, Captain America's uh, uh, partner, like little buddy in um, in World War Two and was thought to be dead. But it reemerges and basically has been brainwashed and is now this mercenary and so he was like there's all these lost years where basically like decades and decades where his whereabouts were unknown and he was just out there doing mercenary stuff and so it's really cool and i think it would be a good fit and i was like okay cool and i i was so excited like i i was basically you know it was i on some level was like i think am i supposed to like kind of play it cool and be like a good business person and be like, well, I don't know, let me check my schedule or whatever. But I was just like so excited because having grown up, you know, reading comics and and like making, you know, trying to like make comics when I was, that was sort of how I bonded with uh, my best friend growing up and then and doing that and that experience kind of informed my my first novel is about two kids who are, are, are writing a comic together. And yeah, I was just really, really, really excited. And how the process worked basically is he was like, okay, so I'll send you a bunch of Winter Soldier stuff so you can kind of catch up and see what these like solo Winter Winter Soldier stories look like. And so read a bunch of those and they're really incredible, cool, kind of like the movie Captain America Winter Soldier, like superhero slash espionage stories. And they're really neat. And he's a neat character because... 
He's this killing machine that underneath it all has a heart of gold, essentially, for lack of a better term, like the, the Bucky in him kind of keeps re-emerging, like the, the, the conscience in him keeps like bubbling up at these different times, sometimes literally when he gets an electric shock, other times just sort of <laughs> for no reason, or not for no reason, but because something evokes it in him. Um, and so I, um, I was really enjoying those. And I, and Chris was like, pitch me, you know, a couple of ideas for like, here's what the thing could be. I'll pick one and we'll go from there. So I just got really into the sort of like history of it all. Um, and, and thinking about different time periods, I read a lot of history. I really enjoy it. And I had just finished reading or listening to an audiobook, actually the power broker by Robert A. Caro which is about Robert Moses, the, the like civic engineer, megalomaniacal, basically like a supervillain in real life who, who, you know, just in completely remade how New York City and state are, are uh, like laid out and was a big proponent of like highways and car culture, even though he himself never drove a car. And he also was heavily, heavily, heavily contributed to you know, at the beginning of his career, he was sort of all about kind of like beautiful things for the public and whatever. And then as he got older and more and more out of touch, he, you know, heavily contributed to the discrimination and segregation in the city and how it's how it's laid out. And like then, they would make oh, like the bridges low on purpose and stuff, right? Like I've read a little tiny bit about this guy. Like, yeah, yeah really he's, just he's gross a, shit, like horrible yeah, shit. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's, he's completely... A villain, you know what yeah. I mean? Like historically, yeah. basically. But there's he's also kind of a tragic figure because like when he started, he was like, I want to make these beautiful public beaches where people can go and enjoy it. But then as he's getting older, it's sort of being like he doesn't care or aggressively wants to decide what people are like, the people who should be going to the beaches and yeah. not and basically like imbuing, you know, how those things are administered with like all of this racism and, and classism and all these and so he's he's a he's a he's a supervillain in real life. And the thing that made me be like, oh, he's a supervillain. One of the things was that he literally his headquarters is like or was he's long dead, but was on this island like underneath one of these giant bridges, like underneath the Manhattan Bridge or something. It's like so a supervillain lair. And I was like, oh, it would be really cool to have the Winter Soldier encounter a, a figure like that, like not literally him, but but somebody liked that. And so I decided like, oh, I want to do a thing basically where the Winter Soldier like encounters a figure like that. And, and while he's on a kind of like 70s, like French connection sort of mercenary mission. And so you get to play with like 70s New York, but you also get to play with like this, like the power broker, Robert Moses world. And yeah, so I, I, that was kind of the inspiration for that. And that was the story that Chris ended up picking. And then we just, the process from there was like, I've never written a comic before. So I was like, Hey, can you send me some samples of like scripts basically? And he was a little bit like, I can, but he was like, every writer is different. Like there's no, it's not like screenplays where there's sort of one standard. Um, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's all just about like, whatever it's just between you and the artist's like one person is one person's going to write it, one person's going to draw it. So it's literally just about like whatever get, gets what you're thinking in your head to that person's head. And in my case, that person was this Italian artist named Alessandro Viti. He was like, "That's that's fine. Like just whatever it takes, basically." So, so they I let you like to... suggest it. Were you like, "I'm interested in working with this artist"? Or oh like... no, no, no. They he he basically was like he he kind of assigned the artist as well. He was oh, okay, like, cool. I'm thinking of this guy you know, take a look at his stuff. Let me know if it kind of fits with what you're thinking. And in, nice. in Alessandro's case, he was like, so take a look at this guy's stuff and see like if the style sort of fits what you have in your head. And in Alessandro's case, it was really, really cool. Very, the era that I grew up on kind of influenced actiony, cool comic art. And I was just like, yeah, this looks killer. This is awesome. And so, yeah, so you, you just get to sort of like write it however you want to write it. And he was, you know, pretty clear on like, yeah, this is about how things tend to time out. This is about how long the text will probably be given the ultimate like page count that you have. You kind of want to lay out like what's in all the different panels, but also, you know, you don't feel like he's like, some people are super specific. Some people kind of leave more to the artist. You want to have a good combination of like 
some some pages that are very dense with a lot of stuff and some pages that are sort of a big action moment that's that's probably going to take up the whole page like like think about that rhythm and so it was kind of in many ways flexing like a very screenwriting muscle like really trying to like show not tell and and be like what can i communicate in images what can i do without having a lot of dialogue especially in in the winter soldier's case because he's a kind of a lonery you know killing machine on 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 at least on his in most of his brain so yeah so that that was what i tried to do and basically i just sent him a couple rounds of the script and he sort of developed it with me and then it got sent off to the artist and then it was you know he's over in italy and he draws it and then it just got sent back to me via email so in, my, in many ways it was all a little bit like my computer did it you know like yeah. I never <laughs> because I, I never met any of these people in person it all just <laughs> happened seemingly on my laptop it was a very interesting kind of cool process but it was really really neat I'm, 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 awesome. I'm really proud of it I'm really proud of how it turned out and I do think it sort of because it ends up or at least was going for trying to be this dual thing about both of these people's complicated legacy both the winter soldier who ultimately tries to like strike a blow against injustice and help out these kids that remind him of him when he was growing up and he was like an innocent young kid playing baseball and helping them have better space in their otherwise very sort of like boxed in, hemmed in uh, neighborhood that's kind of being, you know, driven driven out on, on purpose. And also at the same time, he's like trying to kill a guy in front of his family because he's on a mission. And so it's sort of about both of these people's legacy, basically, like the good that they did and, and then also the stuff that they did that they, the, the, you know, the, the good that they did and then the bad that they did and that both contributing to sort of like who they are. Cool. But also, but being like, well, they made an impact <laughs> for yeah. better or for worse. Uh, so yeah, so that was, I was really, really proud with how that turned out. That, That's great. That came out almost about a year ago. Did you end up writing it like a screenplay? Like, did you write it in final draft or something and give it to your artist or like? No, I actually just ended up writing it in like like basically just Microsoft Word like it was cool. just sort of in in prose with like some some dialogue in there but um, I think cool. I you probably could have you know I probably could have written it in something like Final Draft but it just ended up being like just making sense Easier to kind of to... do like in in prose yeah cool cool yeah that's it was awesome. really neat I I loved the the process I would love to do I would love to do uh, more stuff like that it was really really neat and just a cool like I had always heard you know in, in comics you can tell these insanely huge stories because at the end of the day it's really low tech it's just yeah you know you and a couple of other people the artist the colorist the 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 letterer like doing, you know, what is, even though now it's all on computers, for the most part, like very, very low tech stuff. So it was really, really neat. I was thrilled to get that opportunity. I was and, and really happy about how it turned out. That's so That's cool. That's amazing. Yeah. Do you have like uh, seven copies at your house? <laughs> yeah, I went to secret headquarters to get a physical copy and they were all sold oh, out. Nice. I was very yeah. upset. Oh. I, was like, I have it digitally. Um, and for our listeners to check it out, it's Marvel Comics Presents issue number seven. From 2009. You don't want to pronounce it, Dave? Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> well, it's it, oh, he, yeah. it, it's there's many stories in there. He's one of them. Okay. Um, I mean, I pronounce so many things terribly on here. So here you <laughs> yeah, go. I, I have no way. I don't know how to pronounce it uh, either. <laughs> Omnia. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like sounded right. Sounds like you're doing a, a conjuring spell from yeah. Hellboy. Just uh, open the portal. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. But <laughs> but uh yeah, it was it's a great read. Everybody should check it out. But moving forward, making our transition to getting to see the destruction. As you said, you never uh read Hellboy prior to this, but Tell us a little bit about your relationship or knowledge of Hellboy prior to reading Seed of Destruction. Yeah, I had read, or not read, rather, I have seen the original Hellboy movie, probably like shortly after it came out, like like rented it or saw it on TV or something. But I, I didn't remember a ton about it. I remember thinking that like Guillermo del, del Toro of it all was very uh, cool, but I, I didn't remember a ton about the um, actual storyline other than sort of you know he gets summoned there's this like world war ii like arcane nazi kind of um arc of the covenant kind of uh thing going on but that was about it i didn't see the sequel i haven't seen the new one um i i've always thought hellboy's really cool and cool looking and i've always thought anytime i've ever seen any of the art i've really thought oh i really like that style the kind of like H.P. Lovecraft meets film noir styling, I think is really neat, but that's about it for my experience. Right. 
I love that. That's awesome. I'm excited to hear your thoughts on the story. So, Kate, take it o- take it take it over. Oh, sure. Just you want me to just like book? summarize it a little bit? Like, yeah, give us a synopsis and get into it. Yeah. I mean, it was cool. Uh, I was kind of in a similar boat as you, DC, when I when I started this podcast with Dave. Uh, I had seen the movies and that was it. And I had sort of like seen Hellboy in like ads in like a Wizard magazine and stuff like that. Like I had never <laughs> read any of it though. <laughs> So it's like, uh, so we went chronologically. This was the first story I read. It's been like two or two years or something since I read it. So it was, it was cool to come back and like revisit it because Mignola has been working on it for so many years and you can really see over time how his style has sort of become, his art style has become like, he's like refined it, right? Like it's become like, simpler is not the right word for it because it still conveys so much and is like so beautifully executed. But like, he definitely has a more, like a comic book style that could be based on other books. Like you could kind of see him, like it's not like so distinctly Hellboy, so like unmistakably his yet. But I think his art is still fucking awesome in this. Like I, I maybe because I just like, started with Hellboy like at the beginning I, I kind of ha- even though I've only liked it for a couple of years I, I feel like nostalgic for it in a way now sure that makes sense <laughs> it kind of starts with this like report like they get uh, to kind of immerse you in here and it should be said like um, um John Byrne right yeah 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 so yeah John Byrne was like a friend of Mike Mignola's and he wrote this story and Mike Mignola I think like contributed to some of the writing but uh wasn't like writing the script the script basically and illustrated by Mike Mignola oh yeah sorry colored by Mark uh, Chiarello and edited by Barbara Kessel and this was published between March and June of 94 so yeah you get this kind of look at like this feeling of like a like military documents or something is telling you like we're at this super spooky house the locals don't even (laughs) want to talk to us about it our uh you know our Mignola Captain America analog is here (laughs) uh, uh, Torch of Liberty and he's gonna help us he's like our he's our superhero presence here is gonna help us out although you kind of only see him just for this one little yeah like I think he's in like this in one other panel and he's talking about like we have these paranormal investigators I've never heard the word paranormal until yesterday or something (laughs) and yeah so we kind of just get this feeling this like really ominous feeling with all of this like backdrop of ancient looking sort of like sculptures of like Arthurian kind of guys who are hanging out here (laughs) on these tombs and um you have this woman Cynthia sort of just like telling us some something is happening here this is like the center of something that's been foretold like that kind of that kind of stuff and uh but meanwhile like there's another center far north of here where our really really bad super well-equipped nazis are hanging out with i mean i'll just say they don't name him yet but this is rasputin and he's hanging (laughs) out with (laughs) he's got a bunch of like great sci-fi coils and you know wires and stuff attached to him and this like lightning rod for like interdimensional horrible like magic (laughs) is there and he's yeah he's trying to conjure something the rod is hit with lightning or some energy meanwhile back with these american soldiers and british paranormal researchers there's a huge explosion right under this like the remains of this church where we have like a crucifix like literally right there you know not like (laughs) he's not hiding it it's right there Smashes down. I love this like great silhouette of the soldiers with the explosion behind them. Um, like Mignola's just crushing it. Like I think his art is so good. He's got this great. It's kind of a small thing, but I love his stubby fingers. Like his fingers have this like boxed end to them that like I think just look cool. Like everybody kind of looks like they're wearing a glove all the time, uh, whether they are or not. But I think it just looks cool. Like it gives it a lot of weight. Yeah, and Rasputin's like sitting there in this like smoldering sort of magic dissipating around him. And a Nazi who's named Von Corrupt, which is like such a great comic book Nazi name, like your name is just corrupt, in, but it's like condensed. <laughs> Such a great Nazi name. And he's also got the, these like very iconic, like, you know, swastika 3D goggle thing going on. Just a, a good look for a terrible sci-fi sort of like Nazi, which I guess, you know, Hitler really was fucking around with, uh, sort of like mm-hmm. 
stuff like that. So it's a uh, spooky as shit. Like it's, it's a super effective visual. I think immediately, you know, these guys are, have like zero uh, redeeming qualities whatsoever. They're just, they're trying to do the most horrible shit in the world. You get that impression with like <laughs> how terrible all of these, you know, it's just like you get, you get this awesome visual of like an upside down pentagram with like a swastika over it. It's like, how evil could you get, <laughs> you know? And Von Kraft is telling him like, you fucked up. Hitler hates that. I have not failed Von Krupp. Uh, <laughs> I promised him a miracle and I did just that. I've made one. And we see Hel- the first appearance of Hellboy. He's like a little little baby or teen Hellboy, I guess. And immediately the Torch of Liberty is like, it doesn't look dangerous to me, Professor. Like, you know, immediately a professor's like, kill it! And like, wants to stop it up. And then we see Professor Broom call him Hellboy for the first time. And then this nice little, like, documentary, sort of like this nice photograph of all of them together, uh, which I think is just great. It's like the same as the um, sort of typewritten intro that we got. It makes it feel like we're just like reading a dossier about all this stuff. Like it feels like it's like entrenching this really fantastical thing in like a historical kind of uh, setting. I think it's really cool. I feel like I'm talking a lot. Did you guys like it? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Uh, I loved it. You know that. We jumped forward time. We, We see that Broom has gone on some like uh, adventure, but he's yeah. come back uh, forgetting time. And then a, a giant frog attacks him, kills yeah. him. This sends Hellboy off to the Cavendish Hall, which um, and where he's investigating um, the the family who uh, Broom went with. But that leads him, Abe Sabian, and Liz Sherman into further danger of yeah. against more fucking big frog people, as well as they meet uh, Rasputin. Um, who has brought um, a giant monster with him. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, of course, uh, Raspian uses uh, high fluting language to tell them that he commands Hellboy, tells them he wants to bring about the uh, Agdru Jihad and all of that to end the world and finish Ragnarok. And, of course, um, Abe gets in sync with uh, the original Cavendish um uh, whaler and he ends up using his spirit and harpoon to finally take down Rasputin as well um, so that Hellboy can you know not bring about the end of the world and wake the, the dragon and they they save the day but it's definitely leaves a lot of questions and open and then we have of course a cliffhanger with a bunch of uh, Nazis. Oh yeah. <laughs> Good job, Dave. <laughs> so, uh, I just want, I mean, I, no, it's great. We just wanted to get that so we can talk. Yeah. About- yeah. No, we would have been here for five hours if I kept going. <laughs> we do that on our, when it's only the two of us. Yeah. No, I, 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 hold no, you I captive. Think, no, no, but I, I, Kate, I think you really hit on something cool, which is the, like how it's steeped in this sort of feeling of like lost, like secret history or something is really yeah. cool. permeates it throughout and is always it's just so neat like anytime you get that that feeling in something i think it's really cool that feeling of like authenticity even though it's obviously completely insane right is, it's just really off the wall yeah it's uh, and i think he um he kind of revisits that later in the series where and like rasputin talks about it a little bit where it's like these henchmen that i had that i've transformed into these frog guys they are like this new race of man that's going to inhabit the earth, but they like sort of existed before as like ancient beings. And it's like, he's just like referring to like this sort of like pre-written history kind of stuff. And that shit is really cool too. Like the, just the idea of like civilization, like earth is pretty old and there are like elements of like civilization that we found that we've like maybe dated to a certain point but might be like way older like that all that kind of stuff is like it's like uh even though you know humans have like seemingly like explored every inch of the earth it still leaves like oh there's still like mystery in the world um and still kind of ties it in with like actual historical like to to have like Rasputin in there it's like such a fun balance of historical shit and like fantastical shit <laughs> you know what Absolutely. i mean yeah no it's any i think anytime you get one of those kind of i i like tried to read 
actual Lovecraft once when I was a kid and I just got like two pages in and I was like, okay, nope, not gonna, not gonna do it. Yeah. But I definitely am sort of like, if anything, it's kind of like the symbology of it is very kind of interesting and the, the weird, the sort of like vague outlines of the mythology is in the sort of idea that there's all these weird old satanic slash cosmic beings that if you like become aware of like one letter of their name it's like (laughs) forever long you You go go into madness (laughs) nuts and that's probably like just about the most of lovecraft that any 12 year old really needs to like engage with because i do think if you actually get under the guts of lovecraft i think he's a little bit he starts telling you which races he thinks oh yeah oh yeah he's horrible so so, you know that was probably enough lovecraft for me all you gotta take Um, away is tentacly guy and like you know driving you mad and that's really that's the best of lovecraft for sure exactly so i think this 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 i think hellboy is really sort of like taking this story is really kind of like taking the good the 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 interesting bits of that where it's sort of like all these people competing to summon these weird ancient like not even gods but almost like pre-gods or something it's really neat I, i i i love stuff like that hell yeah and you get this sort of thing too that's still kind of a mystery in, up to the point where I've gotten, I think we've read up to like 2003, 2004 publications. And like, there's a moment in the last comic where some like interdimensional cosmic beings, like these guys, like these alien scientists are like on a satellite being like, who the fuck is messing with our, our Jihad's going to wake up like they're. They're like monitoring the cocoons that this thing is in. And I still don't know what's up with that at this, like 20 years later, or however far into it I am at this point. So I feel like even within the world of the comic, there's still stuff for me to discover. Because I, I really do get the sense that Mignola will deliver on that, even though it's been a while. Uh, I still feel like he probably will. I mean, Dave knows a little bit more than me. He's read ahead further than I have. <laughs> Not in the BPRD, just on Hellboy. I finished okay. that run. So okay. I'm not going to spoil anything. Yeah, don't, don't. <laughs> yeah, I lo- love that moment. It's so cool to like in the first issue of something or the first couple issues of something to sort of call your own shot like that and be like, oh, by the way, there are these weird. Yeah, exactly what you said. There's these other guys across the universe <laughs> that are like, what's going on? Oh, we're not just fucking up Earth. We're fucking up the universe. Yeah, totally. yeah. <laughs> really cool. Really, really neat. Yeah, I love that big question mark it leaves. It's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, what do you think? What, what are your thoughts on Hellboy as a character, DC? I, 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 I really like him. I mean, I think um, it's neat, this sort of kind of, uh, I guess, film noir or, or sort of Raymond Chandler-y way that the story is told where we're in his head with his sort of like inner monologue, and which is always great, especially I feel like when you have a detective character where they're always getting, you know, they're always getting beat up, basically. Yeah. <laughs> they're always just getting getting in fights and getting clobbered and being like, oh man, my head hurts so much. <laughs> or yeah. or like, yeah. or like, I think this guy's going to be easy to beat. Wait a minute, he's actually way harder <laughs> to beat. I think. You know, it's so, such a great blend of like, it, it's, a, it's a really good fit for comics in addition to being this kind of old noir uh, trope. And I like him. I just, I like this. You get the sense that he's, I don't know, it's kind of cool that right away, even though you, he's such a neat, character and he's this really just physically imposing big guy who's who's neat to look at in 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 frames and stuff that he's immediately you get he's not like a lone hero he like has these like partners and people that he works with like almost immediately once we get his his intro story and he goes and has that moment with his his mentor who who dies it's almost immediately like okay here's my team and they're both literally it's just kind of that that old like silent film thing or um, animated movie thing of like it's cool to have different characters that literally have different physical silhouettes so hellboy is this giant hulking person and and the people that he works with are you know this like you know somewhat slender human woman and a like pre-shape of water uh you know know amphibian man yeah (laughs) it's just cool and i think it's it makes him immediately like more likable that he's like oh these are my people that i work with you get the sense of like oh he's kind of hard bitten and rough around the edges like ron perlman's gonna play him in the movie but he still is like i don't know there's something about that that immediately makes him likable yeah like he's not so curmudgeonly that he's like isolated himself from everyone you know it's like yeah 
Yeah, exactly. I think there's something really nice about like you, like Kate, you were talking about earlier, like all those 90s sort of like, like Lobo and all these giant, <laughs> hulking, crazy, you know, guys who, you know, all these guys who are like big, you know, and, and just sort of like, I do my own thing and I have tips okay. and I'm smoking a cigar and seeing a character like that, but also he's a big kind of seems like kind of a big softy or just like yeah. he's kind of a normal guy is cool. I think that's like, that's cool. Totally. And weirdly sort of like stands, stands out. And I, I also can't believe this is 1994. It seems so much more, I guess, advanced than, than, than that. You know what I mean? It, yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. I think that it's a, also, it stood out among everything coming out in 94. I think that's what it really took off. I think. It's like a birthday card that's like sex. Now that I have your attention, something so you know. It's like yes. <laughs> it's like Hellboy looks like the thing you want. If you love Spawn, if you you know, if you're super into uh, what's that big purple guy with the stabby? Oh, fuck. Yeah, well, just you know, just any. Oh, you like you you like big hulking like vascular kind of guys. Like here's a guy, and his hand is a hammer, and like you know, it's great. And then when you do read it it's like oh there's this is a human feeling character and like that kind of that's like the theme of Mignola's work with Hellboy overall I think is like he looks like and is summoned by these like evil forces and and everything but at every turn he denies that at, like at every possible chance he, he like he it's like knowing his origin doesn't matter to him as much as saving his friends and stopping this evil from entering the world. It's like, that's the whole character. Like you, like you get such a good sense of the character just from the jump. It's cool. Yeah, totally. I, <laughs> yeah. I think that's great. I, 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 I think that's so uh, neat that he's a little bit just like this. It's always fun to see. It is a little bit kind of an Indiana Jonesy thing. I feel like to see, you know, some like evil Nazis or Rasputin, or in this case, both be so very like, we're, <laughs> cool and old and archaic and we're very we take ourselves super seriously and i have this big plan and then just to see a guy be like i don't i don't care yeah, don't right. you know you're you're lame <laughs> it's very it's just so funny yeah. with you it's it's great i mean i think sadhu hem looks really cool and gross I, his little eye stalks make me want to puke like he's just so <laughs> nasty looking he's really good at drawing you know he clearly loves all these like little swirly tentacles and little like you know it looks like a fucking cat tongue zoomed in or something it's like these gross little nodules everywhere like i think uh you know he's obviously like it's like it's an obvious like homage to to sort of like H.P. Lovecraft, but with with such like it's just executed with such style and it looks fucking great. Yeah, that's, that always kind of stands out to me. And these big tusks that he ends up bringing into like every monster, like <laughs> that the frog creature goes from like being somewhat human to like you know it's like gums are coming out of its face and stuff, and it has these huge tusks. Like you can kind of see the germs of stuff that like he really. The only other thing that really stands out to me are like the little moments of comedy in it. There's, it's such a heavy book, you know? But then at one point when like Cavendish Hall is collapsing around them, Abe just, Abe sees the staircase and goes, hey, steps. Like, that's funny. That's like, just, you know, go up, go up. Like, you know, it's like moments of like how somebody would really react. Like, you're not going to be super articulate when you're running away from a ceiling collapsing over you. Yeah, uh, just like that's super funny in there. It's it's not like a joke necessarily, but it's it's just feels real and like contemporary and modern within like this backdrop of like, you know, Aztec sculptures that are like pre, <laughs> like, you know, forced for telling the apocalyptic events that might happen here and shit like that. I also think it's so neat how I was just thinking about it and realizing like, oh yeah, they introduced this idea of this hero of, of paranormal, you know, investigation and all these different things, but they don't spend a ton of time just like giving you like, okay, here's what we do. And here's our job. And every day we go in and here's how right. we became, you know, it's sort of like it gives you Hellboy's introduction. But then other than that, it kind of introduces everything else through action. And I just think that that's really cool that they didn't feel the need to like, okay, well, this is the first couple issues. And we're hoping that this is going to be a really long running series. So we really need to like lay everything out for you. I yeah. thought it was really neat to just kind of like, no, just get them to the spooky, crazy mansion, which I thought it was really neat that the mansion is like just such a neat setting. And it's like a weird old house, but it's on top of this creepy, like underground lake that's like 
oil and it's weird and there it's there's no fish in it and it's disturbing yeah. and it's really cool. But I just and then as soon as they get there and they're talking to Mrs. Cavendish and then she's like, all right, well, your rooms are ready for you. And then, you know, it's that thing of like, it's like, are they going to go to sleep? No, they're going to go figure shit out. They're going to go do <laughs> stuff, you know, and that's so fun. It's just really, it's just really, really neat. And that, that it just, I think what you want in stuff like this, it's easy to think that you want all the information right away, but it's like, you don't really, you want like the little glimpses of things and the implications of things. And that's so cool. And then I also, I just love I was remembering like oh when you actually see visualized the like the beast that he's trying to summon this like seven whatever you know this thing that's like both seven things and one thing and is super crazy that it's like these big rocks you know what I mean mm -hmm. like those big yeah. kind of like space rocks or something yeah. is really such a neat weird way to visualize that instead of having it be another monster is really cool. Yeah, I just keep saying it's cool. I think it's cool. I know, yeah. <laughs> We've said it's cool for too we many We truly do, yeah. That's pretty much our review of each one. Like, cool. <laughs> it's what I love. But it does it too. It maintains the mystery of like, what do these things look like? Even though you know it's probably a big tentacly, squirrely, like, kind of thing. <laughs> but it's still like, oh, it's unknown. And that's the, you know, the, you know, the one cool part about hp lovecraft <laughs> everything else is bad <laughs> do you have any favorite panels that stuck out to you dc while reading that you were like what about this um because i think we're hitting on a lot of uh what we wanted to discuss with you which is great but i was like well let's get some yeah. specifics maybe i think um i'm not sure exactly because i the way i have it laid out in front of me i'm not sure i because i have it digitally i'm not sure what issue it's in from this run but basically like right when hellboy is finally is like confronting rasputin for the first time in the in the present and the tentacly being or thing is like pulling him down to the to underneath the the house there's this panel that i think is a full page it's kind of tough for me to tell but like i think see, it is like, yes yeah. it's a splash see hellboy's yeah. hellboy's hand like just his like his sort of stone hand that he's he keeps being like i got this crazy hand nobody knows what it is. <laughs> and it's really cool that, that it's sort of like you see the like the floorboards basically and then there's just this void and you just see hellboy's hand as he's being pulled down by this creature uh and just a couple little bits of rasputin's dialogue is just so cool you know yeah. it's so the real only in comics uh moment it's a favorite that's so good. And then sort of, I don't know, just the different ways that he uses the different sort of like the gothic architecture of the house when he and Abe are running around trying to figure stuff out. And then you go down and then there's all the weird, you know, like as you were saying, sort of almost like pre-Aztec yeah, there's like Sumerian these... carvings, yeah, like Mesopotamian exactly. yeah. gods are down there and stuff. It's like, it feels old and, uh, and creepy immediately. And then also too, the design of the... I think when he's just introducing like, okay, there's this weird coalition of creepy, like science Nazis, like there's like a floating head in a jar and a right. gorilla who's like got Frankenstein stuff coming out of yeah. him. And there's like a weird gas mask guy that you just, and then later it's sort of revealed at the very end that it's like, oops, those guys are, are coming back. Yeah. That you are, you just go like, it's almost like seeing all of the, bosses that you're going to have to fight in a video game or something you're just going yeah. like, oh man these guys are so creepy and weird and cool looking and you know just to go like to sort of again lay out like oh these are all villains that hellboy is going to have to kind of fight at some point probably yeah. it's just really neat i love the way that the ragnarok engine looks like it looks like a bunch of old like 40s like radio microphones all stuck <laughs> together it's just all neat all that stuff is just again I, again it's cool this is really cool yeah <laughs> Yeah. Um, I also like that Rasputin, there's something funny about Rasputin being like, look, the Nazis are idiots. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, which, <laughs> which is in terms of like, historically, it's like, oh, that's true. Like they were spending a bunch of resources on dumb arcane stuff that they thought was going to work. And they also just, because they were anti-Semitic and hugely racist and believed deeply in their own superiority, 
they never really thought they could like be wrong. And they just assumed that like they would always get to stuff first. We'll get to the bomb first. We'll get to this first. We'll get to whatever. And then because they like only looked for ideas from the white guys who looked exactly like them and had exactly their ethnic makeup, they were bad at a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Like they <laughs> fucked themselves up like by being like they, they and I, I like that Rasputin kind of hints at that where he's just like, they're a bunch of boo- boobs yeah. i just they're just convenient for me to use for this moment is really funny uh, i love it yeah i love his him him feeling he's even more superior than them and that his ego is so good it's and it will get it gets played out more in his whole thing and it's amazing that you're picking up on that we pick up on that so early i love it i love it i i'm speechless other than i love it <laughs> <laughs> did you have a favorite one dave looking back at it were you like this really stands out to me the most or is it kind of all just like i mean i will still always cool thing? it's always one cool big thing i <laughs> will i will always return to that splat there's two i love the first page on chapter four with rasputin and liz sherman just the energy coming off of him around her and uh so I do him filling up the entire page behind them and they're they're almost silhouettes to sadu him that in the in the one splash panel of hellboy completely wrapped up in sadu him and being pulled underneath right before it's just the splash page with all the yellow behind yeah, him yeah yeah he's like what in the, i just those those pages are just phenomenal to me totally like you're uh, the simplicity but the detail conveyed in in just those pages there's like oh this is what mignola is just meant to do it's just like, I can't, yeah, I love it. <laughs> um, and I just, yeah, the story and wise, it's just, it, I love that it's a beginning, but it's starting so late in one character's life. And I love that it, but it's still like a beginning for him and for us. And it's just cracky. It's like the smallest crack and there's so much to be played with. And you just, I, for me, like ending the first storyline, it's like, oh, there's just so much. And I, I wonder, DC, like, what are your thoughts when you finished it? Like, do you want to read more? Where do, where, oh, yeah, where, where you land? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I, I just love the, um, it's just a fun, you know, format that they've already set up for themselves where it's just like, oh, this is just a fun team who you want to see do stuff, but you also have this character who's kind of, you get the sense, like going to be piecing together more of his history and his background. And even though he's so deep into his life and his career, clearly, like he, like you said, he's just starting to crack that stuff open. And so I think anytime you can get set up for yourself of like, oh, I can easily see how I can plug this character and this team into a bunch of different types of adventures. Totally. But I also get the sense that there's going to be this overarching thing that's going to be very fun to explore. Like both of those things sound fun to me. The like smaller individual storylines that we might explore over like, you know, an individual arc and then like the series arc, so to speak, all seems really cool. I would definitely, uh, definitely read. Yeah. Yeah. It's like when you read about like what makes a good pilot kind of stuff where it's like you're entrenched in it. You like start off right in the thick of the action and you see like what their everyday kind of life is like they're exploring and kind of detectiving out what's going on with this crazy like uh, paranormal shit. But there, yeah, like you said, you can see like, okay, so Mike Mignola knows what the end of season two looks like kind of, yes. kind of stuff, yeah. you know, like, exactly. uh, yeah, yeah. It's like uh, he gets to fight cool freaks all the time and <laughs> him and his cool, powerful friends all get to be there. It's great. Did I mention it's great and cool? 100%. No, absolutely. If you guys were always being like, this fucking sucks. Like, okay, why are they doing this show again? Is this a punishment? That would be the worst. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, I'm glad that you enjoyed it, DC. That, yeah. Um, and your thoughts are always great um, on all of it. I have a, a, a strange question for you. Would you have ever approached, would you write a, a one-off Hellboy storyline or even if they asked you to write a novel? Because they've done oh. Hellboy novels and we've read oh, them. Oh, that's cool. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, they're so, uh, he's such, like I said, he's such a fun character. Like anytime you have, who doesn't like a like cantankerous kind of like a guy who's just being like, you know it's sort of like with a heart of gold a, yeah exactly like a, a, a little bit of a like and i'm getting too old for this shit yeah but also is just like a really at heart like a hero but is also like you know from hell <laughs> <laughs> and like the team 
and like the team dynamic is cool. Like who doesn't like a good, a good team, you know, like that. And, uh, I like also just a my really minor thing. I really liked, we only saw it for a second, but I really liked the way that B, uh, BPRD headquarters is, is styled. Like it's very yeah. sort of Frank Lloyd Wright ish kind of like modernist, uh, looking like neat, like pendant lamp on that guy's desk. I love that design. So yeah. all that to say like, oh yeah, no, in a heartbeat, I think, um, the getting to play with these sorts of like characters and mythologies and blending like actual history with weird arcane monster and myth stuff. Who doesn't like with detective stuff? Who doesn't like that? It's, it's totally. such a neat world. That's awesome. Uh, well, I would personally love to read something that you wrote for a uh, Hellboy storyline. <laughs> Are you like commissioning him right now? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm just going to take this clip and yes. send it to Mike nice. Mignola. <laughs> you locked it up. Locked it up. I, I mean, hell yeah. <laughs> Let's do lock that up. I mean, normally we would do a, a, suge- a suggestion segment, but I just want to encourage all of our uh, listeners to check out stuff that you've done uh dc oh, your, you. your two novels as well as uh check out marvel uh presents issue seven um again those novels are the boy who couldn't sleep and never had to and crap kingdom definitely check those out they're they're both great reads and then do you have anything you'd like to plug that you're currently or coming up um, that my listeners to check out yeah i'm currently putting out a podcast that actually is about home cooking it's something that i've been very into for a very long time and i've been putting this podcast together for about the last year and then suddenly with uh, i've been putting it out basically was already going to start putting it out and then quarantine happened in so many places and like cooking at home became newly relevant for a lot of people so if yeah. you're somebody for whom that's True, I think it's a it's a it's a show that is, you know, trying to kind of like I don't know. It's basically about like where cooking does or does not fit into people's lives at a given time period, um, and it's just really fun. And we talk about like food and cooking and everything that those things are related to. And I also like cook on the show. So if you're somebody where you're like, I just like hearing that. I just kind of like the ASMR of hearing somebody chop a shallot or something. <laughs> you can come for that. Um, and uh, then we have cool guests. Uh, for, there was a, like a month run where sort of be, towards the beginning of quarantine where um, my wife, Haley Hepworth, and I did a really fun like ingredient draft where we had to like draft ingredients that we actually have in our house and then make meals out of them. and then. Also, because we're the only ones in our apartment, determine which we think of the meals that we made was better. That was really fun. Couple like that was a, a good a good series, and I really enjoyed that. It turned out to be really fun and funny, and also we kind of got into like why do we like the things that we like? I don't know. It was really um, interesting, and 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 and, and I, I really enjoyed doing that. That podcast is called Stay for Dinner, and it is available everywhere where podcasts are podcast, and it comes out. Pretty much every Tuesday. Awesome. Check it out, everybody. Stay for dinner. I <laughs> love that. Awesome. Oh, thanks, DC. This has been a pleasure talking Hellboy with you and yeah. comic books and everything. Uh, I always enjoy your comedy. You've always made me laugh on stage um, and reading stuff. Who cares? That's now that I have you, I can say that to you. <laughs> uh, but wonderful stuff. Thank you so much for coming on. Tell Haley I said hi. She was my director for Mod for uh, for a while, and she was really great. That's awesome. I loved oh, her so much. She was my favorite director. That. Yeah, she's the best. Yes, I will. I will absolutely do that. Cool. Thank um, you. Well, nice, to, nice to meet you. You Visually, too. Kate, and thanks for having me all and have a great rest of your uh, day. This was super fun. You too. You as well. Bye. DC is great. What a cool yeah, guy. Yeah, he's awesome. Glad uh, I got to meet him. I've definitely, I was like, I think I first heard him talking on the podcast. Don't get me started. Will Hines's old podcast yes. that I used to have. I was like, DC Pearson. Yeah. He talked about Kanye West. Kanye West, that's mm-hmm. right. I was trying to remember his subject. And that made me have a better appreciation for Kanye West. Yeah, already, which even I, like, you know, over the course of a few years changed too. For sure, yes. Yeah. Yes, definitely. But those early, especially those early albums are really great. Oh, yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, stuff I love. But yeah, everybody again, check out everything he does. He's great. He's wonderful. Cool guy. Um, but remember, we want to hear from you uh, in revisiting Seed of Destruction uh, we, and anything we discuss on this episode. You can reach out to us at awcrap, a hellboy podcast at gmail.com. Um, we would love to hear from you. 
um, as well as you can subscribe, rate, and review on all your platforms if they have that option, as well as Apple Podcasts. Um, if you do give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and your review starts with the word boom, we will read your um, review right here on the podcast, give you a big old shout-out. We call that Boom Reviews. Yeah. And remember to follow us on Instagram at Aw Crap, a Hellboy Podcast as well as Twitter at Aw Crap Hellboy. I believe this will be coming out on the June 17th is when you should be listening to this. You have until 10 p.m. to donate to our uh, fundraiser slash giveaway to benefit Black Lives Matter. Um, so definitely give do that. There's a lot of, it's the, the items that you're gonna get if you potentially win this giveaway is awesome and it goes to a great cause that we believe in and we uh give full uh, solidarity to so hopefully that number is up to an astronomical amount at this point but even if it's not if it's up up to our original goal i'm very happy because the response from the listeners was great thank you so much everybody who contributed to it already and yeah just thanks yeah, thank you. There'll be more update on the online, but um, after this episode, there might be one more between this and then getting back into our season four um, programming. But we'll definitely let you know online as well um, about all of that. That's it. That's it for this fun Zoom episode with our great guest. Um, thank you all for listening. And remember, we love you. Sorry, we gotta we gotta smoke alarm over here. Oh, that's okay. Oh no, are you safe? Oh, it's okay. Oh, yeah, yeah no, are we're you, fine. You're not burning up. <laughs> no, we're not. No. Okay, good. good. It's just, it's just, <laughs> just breakfast. Open some windows here. Yeah, literally, like basically, if we put a like anything in the oven, it's gonna happen. Yeah, but then at least on the other hand, you're like, well, I guess if there's a real fire ever, we'll like know about it. <laughs> sure. Hi, I'm Muriel. And I'm Nick. And we are the co-hosts of the podcast, Hella Hella in Your Your 30s. 30s. This podcast is all about diets, hobbies. Never dying. Never dying. Fitbits. I'm going to try to moisturize my face more. Yeah, alcohol. Should we drink more or less? (laughs) Cheap Chipotle dates for two. We bring you hot episodes every Monday from Campfire Media. So make sure to subscribe on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. Campfire.